dran. You should do that at the end because now I'm going to make the sermon twice as long. So blame whoever's responsible. Um, first of all, wow, you guys are brave. I mean, it is cold out there, nasty out there, and look at all of you. We had like 100 people last week because we had weather last week, and we were pretty small in number, which is totally fine. But um, it was it was a new experience. But anyways, I'm glad everybody's back. It's good to see you. I see a couple people I haven't seen before. And uh, so make sure you... Uh, I hope you feel welcome if you're visiting with us today. I also want to encourage you to uh, fill out in the pew in front of you. There should be a little card uh, with a green, uh, green logo on it, and uh, just fill that out. It's some brief information you can put those. We collect offering. We don't pass the plates. We collect at the doors, and you can just slip that in there. And uh, that allows us to uh, send you announcements and stay in touch with you. So uh, please, if you're new or you haven't filled one of those out before, uh, please fill one of those out so that we can get in contact with you. I've uh, always heard people say that God has a sense of humor. I never doubted that. And uh, I think one of the ways he's kind of shown that to me is uh, he gave me a child that is a lot like me in a lot of different ways. Um, I was, Elijah, he's been staying in service. I was really hoping he was going to go up to primetime today so I could talk about him without him knowing. And he went up to primetime, so that's good. Um, but, you know, I, uh, I can remember my parents telling me when I was in preschool, I came home crying because my preschool teacher, uh, Mrs. Burksmith, called me a slowpoke, and uh, my feelings were hurt. I can remember my uh, mom almost physically dragging me through stores, telling me, you need to hurry up, and I can remember saying, I am, I am, but I was doing the whole, like, kind of lean back, dig my heels in. You know how kids do when you're trying to pull them along there? They think that they're trying to walk, but they're really kind of resisting. And uh, even to this day, it takes me a while to process things. I'm not, you know, quick-witted. I, I have to think through things. I'm not good at thinking on my feet. I have to take time to think things through. And uh, so I'm kind of uh, slow. And uh, now I have a child who takes his time with everything. And, and we're the kind of family that, like most families, I think nowadays, we kind of rush around a lot and going from place to place. And so this past week, we were getting ready to leave the house, and uh, the kids were getting the shoes on. I was ready to go. Madison was ready to go. And Eli was still tying his shoes. And uh, I said, Eli, you've got to hurry up. And normally he would just say, I am, you know. But he didn't do that this time. He just looked up at me, and he paused, and he said, I didn't know we were in a hurry. <laughs> and uh, he knew where we were going. I can't remember where we were going. He said, he said um, why do we have to hurry to get there? And I was kind of humbled, and I looked at him, and I said, well, honestly, we don't. I mean, we weren't in a hurry. We weren't in a, any big hurry. We didn't have a reason to get there, but it was just one of those things that I was ready to go, and I was tired of waiting on him, and I wanted to get out the door. But I, I didn't have a good reason. Sometimes our kids teach us lessons, don't they? That, man, if you don't have a good reason to be in a rush, then why in the world are you so rushed? And I think it's honestly, it's just something we kind of get used to, isn't it? I mean, our life kind of has, for most of us, has just like this furious pace. I know pace, excuse me, for a lot of us. You know, it seems like most of us, uh, as far as young families, it seems like most uh, parents work outside the home now. Uh, many of you commute, so that adds an hour to your day already. There's pressure, of course, all the time at work and, and uh, you know, deadlines, things that have to get done. And then um, our family lives, you know, if we have kids, uh, we want to give them every opportunity, so we sign them up for sports or 4-H or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or all these different things. And then we've got practice, and then we've got games, and we've got fairs to go to. 
And then a lot of you are committed to church already. You know, you come on Sunday morning. A lot of you join a, a midweek small group, and there's youth groups, all these other things. And then on top of all that, then we attempt to spend time together as a family, and we have try to have a little bit of a social life. So in other words, with all this stuff going on, it seems like most of us or a lot of us are always in a rush. I think sometimes our busyness even becomes sort of a source of pride. I hear people brag about, oh, I worked uh, 80 hours this past week, like it's a good thing. Or, um, you know, I, you know, I'm involved in X amount of things, like it's a good thing. And, and not, not to say it's not good to, to work hard and to work a lot, and I'm not saying it's not good to be involved in things, but it's just interesting how it, our culture has changed over time. And our culture is one that we are obsessed with being productive. In other words, we want to get the most amount of work done in the smallest amount of time as possible so that we can make more time. But the interesting thing is it never gives us more time. We just fill that time with something else. But as a culture, we have things like fast food and high-speed Internet and automatic this and that. You know, my favorite gift this Christmas, my mom bought, bought me an Instapot. I was all excited about it. It's like a crock pot, only it takes way less time. The interesting thing, I think this is a good uh, illustration or a metaphor. The interesting thing is, you know why it cooks so fast? Pressure. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of culture today. We're under all this pressure to get things done sooner, faster, in a shorter amount of time. I mean, in a way, it's kind of descriptive as, of our culture. We value convenience so much that we even tolerate nasty things like instant mashed potatoes and instant gravy. That's how much we care about getting things done fast and convenient. And the fact is we want more time, but when's the last time that one of these conveniences has, has actually ga- given us more time? I mean, that you could actually, sure, it's, it's saved you time, but has it really given you any extra time? Do you really feel any more free than you did before? No, you just fill that time up with something else. Now, you might be thinking, well, isn't that how it's supposed to be? I mean, aren't we supposed to be productive? Doesn't God want us to be productive? We're not supposed to be lazy. I mean, shouldn't we stay busy? I would say, yeah, we do need to work hard. We do need to stay busy. I mean, if if we read the Bible and we know where things are going, we should be busy, you know, with the kingdom of God and trying to bring people to Jesus Christ. Absolutely, we should be busy. But there's a scripture I want to read to you uh, that shows that there's another element that's important as well. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. This is talking about Jesus. It said, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so you might ask yourself, well, what does that have to do with, you know, what's the connection? So Jesus went to desolate places and he would pray. What does that have to do with busyness? My point is this, in order for Jesus to do that, he intentionally carved out time in his day to do that to go to a desolate place, to seek solitude, to be alone, to pray to God. Now, we're in the third week of a new series called Making the Habit. We talked about how when it rolls around to a new year, a lot of people are making goals. And a lot of times those goals involve breaking bad habits. And breaking bad habits, that's important. I, you know, you say, I want to stop. My goal this year is I want to I want to stop smoking or, or I want to stop procrastinating or I want to, you know, whatever it is. But there's bad habits that we want to break, and that's good. But also... There's healthy habits that we're trying to make sometimes. But if we as Christians are making goals, but they're not spiritual goals, I think that's a problem. I think we ought to be making spiritual goals as well. So we're talking about making the habit, making spiritual habits. And so we talked about in the first week, we talked about how whether you like it or not, change is coming to your life. 
whether you realize that or not, big change is coming, and it happens one little decision at a time. And every little decision that you make is motivated by your why, something in your life that is driving you, something in your life that is motivating you, pushing you to make the decisions that you are. You might not even be aware of it. You might just think in your living your life, um, no big deal. But the fact is there is something driving you. I don't know what that something is. It might be yourself. Maybe it's your family. Uh, maybe it's God. I don't know what's driving your life, but there is something that affects the reason why you do the things that you do. It's your why. And every little decision you make is motivated by your why. And those little decisions turn into big change in your life. So that's what we were talking about, talking about having the right why. And that why, of course, is God, is Jesus, his love for us. We talked last week about joy. The first discipline that we talked about is joy and, and how joy is not just our response to changing circumstances. Joy is our response to an unchanging God. But as we talk about the topic of, we're talking about spiritual disciplines. And for some of you, you might say, you know, I've never heard that phrase before in my life. But if you have, chances are when you think of spiritual disciplines, you think of prayer or you think of uh, of uh, reading scripture, those are spiritual disciplines. And so to talk about joy as a discipline, and then today we're talking about solitude, to talk about joy and solitude as a spiritual discipline, those things might not seem very spiritual. Those things might seem a little out of place as we talk about spiritual disciplines. I mean, we talked about that last week. Joy, can that really be a discipline? Well, it is. Because, man, if you think feeling is just the joy, or excuse me, joy is just a feeling, man, feelings change. But as Christians, our joy is not found on changing circumstances. It's found in unchanging God. And so if God is unchanging, joy is something we have all the time, whether we feel it or not. So joy sometimes is a discipline, right? Because we're just not feeling it sometimes. So joy is a discipline. And just like joy is a discipline, solitude is a discipline. And slowing down, taking time for solitude, that takes discipline as well. So we're talking about the discipline of solitude, the, the discipline of being alone. But solitude is more than just being alone. And the reason why we're talking about being rushed and being busy and be, being hurried is because busyness is the enemy of solitude. In other words, if you're constantly rushing around, you are not going to make time for solitude unless you're intentional about it. So the enemy to solitude, the enemy to this spiritual discipline is rushing around, is, is, is busyness. It, it's all these, all these things. Those are enemies. Uh, of solitude because solitude takes time and most of us would say we just don't have any free time the fact is if we don't intentionally make time for solitude it's not going to happen now let me ask you this question I want you to answer out loud but do you ever feel like God is silent like you want God to speak to you you want to hear from God but he's not talking and I think a lot of times the reason why God seems silent is because we are rushing through life. So that's my next question. Is God silent? Do you feel like he's silent? The next question I would ask, and I want you to ask yourself, is am I rushing through life? Am I just going from one thing to the next? And I think that those two things are very connected to one another. I think if you say, yes, I'm rushing through life constantly and God is silent, chances are that's your problem right there. That you're not taking time to listen to the voice of God, God isn't silent, but maybe you just can't hear God's voice over the noise of your own life, over everything going on. And so here, here are some questions. I want you to answer them just in your own mind and maybe count up how many you would answer yes to. 
And I think these are some good indicators that maybe you're a person that is rushing through life. And I, I've got to be honest, this is something that I was kind of convicted by as well. So let me ask you these questions. Do you constantly look for ways to speed up a process? We had an example of this last night. Um, I had the idea for a last-minute bulletin insert. And so I did it, printed it off last night, and I brought it home. And Liz had a couple friends over, uh, Brooke from out of town, and then Madison, she was over, Madison, Rashawn. And uh, they were stuffing those into uh, the bulletins for you this morning. And Madison made the comment. She said, this is like my life growing up. She said, anytime there's a funeral or something, she said, we would hand fold programs for funerals. And I was like, I never thought of that. And I said, well, as many funerals as your dad does, he doesn't have a, because we have an automatic folder here. You just feed him through. I said, he doesn't have a folder. And she goes, no. I said, well, I mean, shoot, you can bring them to the church and do them. It'll take two seconds. But it was funny because I was thinking about this sermon. I thought, well, I mean, that's my mind, isn't it? That, I mean, I'm always looking for ways to speed up the process, for it not to take as much time. And I think a lot of us are like that. So that's the first question. Do I look for ways constantly to speed up a process in my life? Am I constantly multitasking? Are you constantly feeling like you have to do more than one thing at a time? Or do you foc- can you focus on one thing without doing something else? Is your life cluttered? Your house, your schedule, is it cluttered up, full of things? Do, you, do things in your life feel superficial? This one might take a little bit of explanation. Do you feel like you're barely scratching the surface of most of the things you're involved with? In other words, you feel like you really can't dedicate enough focused attention to all these things that you're doing because you got too much going on. So do you feel like some, some things in your life are superficial? For example, this is just an illustration. One of the things that I always think about is in this culture today, they say that kids know more than ever before. They are more informed than ever before because they have anything that they could possibly want to know, um, you know, just at their fingertips. So kids have more information. They know more than ever before. But research also suggests that kids understand less than ever before. In other words, when it comes to knowing things, they have all the answers. But when it comes to knowing how to apply that knowledge, when it comes to knowing how to think about things, those are some things that are suffering. And so I think in a similar way, that kind of relates to what we're talking about here, that that we're involved in all these things. We have a lot available to us, but can we really dig into those things? Are we really able to focus on those things? Is rushing around affecting your commitment to God? Is it affecting your relationships because there's no depth? This is another good one here. I think the last one. Are you obsessed with the next thing? Let me explain this one too. How many of you in this room are living out something in your life that at one point in your life was a dream? How many of you right now are living out something in your life that at one point in your life was a dream? How many of you dreamed of being married? And you're married. How many of you dreamed of having kids? And you have kids. How many of you dreamed of owning a home? And you own a home. How many of you dreamed of having a nice truck? And you have a nice truck. My point is that sometimes we dream about things and they happen, and our mind just automatically automatically goes to the next thing. Sure, we're happy, but we we start thinking about the next thing. Sometimes it's like with our kids. You know, do you catch yourself saying, "Man, I can't wait till this." phase is over. I can't wait until we're out of the terrible twos. I can't wait until the kids are potty trained. I can't wait until they can, you know, drive themselves. I can't, I mean, do you ever catch yourself saying, man, I can't wait till the next step. And man, that's something I'm not very good at, but something I try to remember sometimes is there's going to come a time when Liz and I are old and wrinkled up and sitting in the car and driving and we say, man, 
We would give anything to have those two kids in the back seat trying to kill each other. I know that's going to happen. I know that's going to happen. That they're going to. I'm going to miss this if if I'm not careful. So, man, we got to be. We got to be. We always have to be forward thinking, especially as believers. Be thinking about the kingdom of God. At the same time, man, we got to enjoy what we're in now. We got to take some joy in the process, uh, not just looking for the destination. So the issue with hurry is that we remove all the value of the process itself. That's all lost. We obsess over getting to the destination, and so we miss out on the journey. Does that make sense? Let me give you another example. Uh, Christmas. I love Christmas. I love decorating for Christmas. We decorate the outside of the house. We decorate the inside of the house. We put up a Christmas tree. We have a lot of traditions. That's something we love to do. But I've noticed the last couple years as the kids have gotten older, it's kind of been like a rush, you know, to get the tree decorated, and the, you know, because we feel like we have to get it done by a certain amount of time. And the last couple years I've just been feeling like, man, the value, the whole reason why we're doing this is kind of being lost, and it's almost like we end up being rushed and, and almost kind of mad, you know, when we're done. And I thought, this is not how it should be. And so this year, just kind of internally, I said, you know what, I'm not going to rush. I'm not going to rush through that. I'm going to take my time. If it takes three days to set up a Christmas tree, that's how long it will take to do it. And it didn't take three days, you know, but we took our time. I'll tell you what, just that little difference in mindset made all the difference. We were able, at least I was able to, I don't know that we really talked about this, but it's something I felt, but I felt like we were really able to enjoy what we were doing. We were enjoying the process and not just worried about getting it decorated, but enjoying the process of, of getting there. And sometimes we, we need to do that. So what happens when we live a life that is just, you know, rushed and one thing to the next is, is sometimes an, another issue that can happen is we miss out on the value of the process, but also sometimes we push people aside. We become very task-oriented. And a lot of times we chalk this up to just, well, that's my personality. I'm task-oriented. And you may be. But I'm telling you, as Christians, we can't just exclusively be task-oriented. We need to be people-oriented people. And there are sometimes that becomes a problem. We have to make decisions. I struggle with that in ministry because I could spend all my time with people. If I allowed myself, I could be with people all the time very easily. Um, but I think, man, that would be kind of embarrassing. I mean, if I got up here Sunday morning, didn't have a sermon because I spent my time with people. That sounds like a good thing, right, to spend time with people. It is a good thing. But is there too much? I don't know. But anyways, uh, this week, <laughs> it was on... Monday, I guess it was. I went in to go drive my bus, and um, it was Tuesday. Went in to go drive my bus, and the other bus driver said, hey, you have a student that's not going to be riding for a long time. I said, oh, what happened? And uh, he had fallen in the snow on a car ramp, and it had hurt his leg, and it was bad. I mean, just it looked horrible. And anyways, he ended up, he was in the hospital, came home, and then it got infected. He had to go back into the hospital. And so they said, he's in the hospital. I said, well, what hospital is he in? And they said, Burlington. And I thought, man. I had a really busy week this week, I, and I knew it was going to be busy. We've got first steps today, and, and every week is busy anyways. And I thought, man, can I really afford to go over there? I should probably just go to work. And then I thought, you know what? If I am too busy to go visit a kid in the hospital, I'm too busy. And so I went to the hospital. I don't know him very well. I don't know the family very well, but I just thought, I just kind of want to build a bridge there. And so uh, he always gets on the bus with a Mountain Dew. And so I brought him a Mountain Dew and a chocolate donut and an outdoor magazine. I went to go visit him. And, uh, man, it took some time. It, it kind of burned up most of my morning. But I thought, you know, who knows what that's going to lead. It might lead to nothing. It might have just brightened his day. Maybe that was it. But who knows what that might lead to down the road. And, I, you know, in that morning, I forgot to leave. I left this part out. That morning, every single morning, one of the things that I try to do is that, that 
I'll be aware of the opportunities that God gives to me to interact with people. And I really feel like it was right after that that I heard about this kid. And I thought, maybe that was an opportunity that God gave me. Maybe not. Maybe I just brightened his day. But I, we, sometimes if we're too busy, we can miss opportunities like that. And there have been times where I've missed those kind of opportunities to interact with people because I was so worried about a task. So we've got to be careful about that. I read a, a quote this week that really jumped out to me. It said, God doesn't hurry. And the reason why we know God doesn't hurry, and we see that in the Bible, don't we? Usually it's people waiting on God, not God waiting on people. You know what I'm saying? To hear from him. And um, so as we think about that, you know, you think about like a father. It says here, hurry prevents a father from loving his child. It said we, That's how we know God doesn't hurry because it that hurry prevents a father from loving his child. And we understand that. If you're a father, you know that sometimes there are things like when you're rushed and you're in a hurry, you get frustrated or you think you don't have time to interact with your kids, and it kind of puts a wall between you and them. God doesn't do that. God doesn't get in a hurry. And so for us, I think the main point is this, that don't overlook the value of a process for the sake of progress. And I'm talking about spiritual things. You know, if you speed up little things in your life, I don't think it's a big deal. But don't forsake the value of a process in the name of progress. In other words, don't be so preoccupied with getting to a specific direction that you lose all the value in, in going through the steps that it takes to get there. I'm talking spiritually here. So the difficulty in talking about solitude, though, is that there is no single scripture that tells us, hey, you need to seek solitude and this is how you do it. You won't find, you know, that's normally what we do in this church is we talk about a passage of scripture. We kind of really try to dig into what it really says. It's really hard to do as we talk about solitude because it's just kind of mentioned. It's just kind of assumed. There's not one text that really unpacks the importance of solitude, but it's significant. Jesus, for example, before he started his ministry, how did he, what did he do? He sought solitude, went out into the desert for 40 days, it says. How did he uh, prepare for the end of his earthly ministry when he left the world? He went to the garden to pray alone. Jesus, he sought out solitude. If you think through some of the most influential people in the Bible, most of them, if not all of them, were called by God. And how many times in the Bible can you think of somebody being called by God when they were surrounded by people? How many times can you remember somebody being called by God in the Bible when they were busy or distracted? I really can't think of any. He seems to speak to people when we're alone, when we're in a quiet place. He spoke to Moses when he was alone tending sheep. He spoke to Samuel, the young boy, when he was in his bedroom. He spoke to Abraham in the silence. He spoke to Elijah in a cave. And that's one of my favorite stories as we're talking about solitude. This is a great illustration, too, because God said to Elijah, I want you to go to the mountain of the Lord, and I want you to wait to hear my voice. So Elijah did that. And as he waited, a howling wind tore through the mountains. And he thought, well, surely, you know, this howling, deafening wind, surely the Lord's voice was going to be in that wind. And he said, but the, vo the Lord wasn't in the wind. So then pretty soon there was an earthquake. And it said, you know, the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, a roaring fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then he says, then I heard a whisper. And the Lord was in the whisper. You see, sometimes the Lord speaks some of his most powerful messages in the voice of a whisper and silence. But man, if we're not taking time to hear his voice, are we ever really going to hear it? So what is solitude? What are some enemies to solitude? Well, solitude is being alone, but it's not just being alone. 
and you might laugh at that, you know, for us to seek solitude, for me to stand here and say the Bible, you know, God wants you to seek solitude, you might laugh at that, especially some of you are moms, right? I mean, you can't even like go to the bathroom by yourself or without a kid trying to get in to come ask you a question, you know, saying mom 50 times. So that thought of being alone, um, uh, that's kind of far-fetched. I mean, even if you're kind of past this stage, um, you still got work or you belong to this board or that board and you got family get-togethers and community events. So it's hard to get alone, isn't it? Some people, they don't like to be alone. I remember one time we used to have a uh, <coughs> youth minister on staff here. His name was Evan Sheckler. And uh, we lived just like there were two houses that separate us. We both lived in Blandonsville. And uh, one day, it was a Friday, and I had that day off, and I was, I'm kind of one of those people, like, I like alone time, and my wife was working that day, it was just me. I thought, all right, this is going to be awesome, you know, just hanging out by myself, and pretty soon, there's a knock at the door, and it was Evan. He's like, hey, mind if I hang out? And I was like, sure. So, uh, <laughs> he hung out all day, and uh, then Saturday rolls around, and Evan comes over, and he spends, like, a good part of the day then, and then... Sunday we had church and he came, well come to find out his wife was out of town and he was one of those people he just didn't like to be alone so he wanted to hang out and uh, you know some people like that they just can't be alone. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer he's a famous theologian he was also um, imprisoned and I think eventually executed uh, and convicted of uh, playing a role in an assassination plot of Hitler. So anyways he writes this quote he says let him who cannot be alone be aware of community. Conversely, let him who is not in community be aware of being alone. In other words, you might be a person that really likes solitude. You could not see a person ever and be just fine. Um, that's dangerous for believers. We need to have a connection to community, the Christian community. If you're a person that always has to be around people, that's a problem. You need to make sure that you're taking time to be alone, to, to seek out solitude. Some of you say, I feel alone all the time. You know, I, I've got that covered. I'm a widow. Uh, maybe I don't have a lot of family around or, or um, you know, my friends have passed away. I, I don't like to be alone because I'm alone all the time. Well, solitude isn't just about being alone. It's about being alone with a purpose. It's about taking time to listen to his voice. You ever have one of those one-sided conversations with people where it's very clear that they're interested in doing all the talking and they don't have any interest in what you want to say? Isn't prayer like that sometimes, though? When we talk to God, we do a lot of talking sometimes. How much listening do we do? Prayer involves talking and listening both. So prayer, that's one of the reasons we seek solitude. Reading his word, that's another. Reflecting on the past and the present and asking the question, you know, what am I doing faithfully? What do I need to keep doing? And, and what, what are some things that I need to, to move away from? Some bad habits that I need to get rid of, some people, some attitudes that I need to distance myself from. So it's thinking about, you know, there's the person that you are. Now, how many of you in here uh, could say, I, you know, I'll, I just know this. I don't even have to ask the question. I know there are a lot of people in here. If I were to ask you the question, are you a different person today than you were in the past? A lot of you would say, yeah, God has changed my life. I have changed tremendously. I know a lot of you could say that. So there's the person that you used to be. There's a person that you are. And then there's a person that God wants you to be. And you're trying to get to that point. And I think what's most important is that we're moving forward to that point. None of us have, has come to the point where we feel like we have arrived. And so that's one of the things that we do as we're seeking God, as we're seeking solitude, thinking about, okay, who am I? Who was I? Who am I? And who, is God, uh, who does God want me to be? But the problem is if we don't seek solitude, we become 
typically kind of what we surround ourselves with sometimes. And this is another quote I think that kind of illustrates it. It says, without solitude, we cannot fathom just how enslaved we are. So many of us are chained to the opinion of others. We're addicted to praise and affirmation and eviscerated by criticism. Vainly, we busy ourselves in managing the impressions that others have of us. We exhaust ourselves in trying to become something in their eyes. See, that's what happens when you constantly surround yourself with people. You kind of worry more about what they think instead of what God thinks about you. So why seek solitude? What's the reason behind it? The best example comes from Jesus himself. And from what I can tell, there's kind of two main reasons why Jesus seeks solitude. One is for preparation. And one is for reflection. You think about preparation. Jesus, he fasted. This is from Matthew 4 if you want to fact check me on any of this. Matthew 4, he fasted and prayed before his ministry. Man, if Jesus did that before he started something, shouldn't we fast in preparation for something? To pray? Luke 6, Jesus stayed up all night before he chose his disciples. You have a big decision you need to make? Have you dedicated that to the Lord? Have you sought out solitude to to ask God what he thinks you ought to do? In Mark 1, Jesus got up early in the morning to meet with God before the people. I mean, he, Jesus was one of those, he had people surrounding him all the time. And so he had to be very intentional about seeking solitude or people were always around. Matthew 26, he spent time in solitary prayer before he faced the cross. And so in a similar way, when we come up against trials and temptations in our life, when we go through difficult times, we need to seek solitude and, and pray for the same reason. So preparation, that's one of the reasons we seek solitude. Another reason is for reflection. Jesus, after he fed the 5,000, you know what he did? He went away to be alone, to think and reflect. Uh, When the 12 disciples, apostles, returned from preaching and healing, Jesus, he encouraged them to do the same thing. He said, go take some time. Get away. And we need to do the same thing. When, When we've been pouring into other people, we need to take time to make sure that we're filling up. And then in the last thing, last scripture I'm going to give you about this. Matthew 14, after John the Baptist, uh, his cousin was killed, he took time in solitude. He withdrew to contemplate what God was doing in that situation. And I think we need to do the same thing. When we have tragedy, when there's trials, we need to reflect on how God is working in those situations. But, man, if we aren't intentional about it, about seeking solitude, it is not going to happen. Neil Wyndham, one of my Old Testament or one of my New Testament professors at Lincoln, he always would say, "Solitude is profoundly intentional," and it is. If you don't intentionally seek solitude with God, it's something that doesn't happen on its own. So I've got just kind of as we wrap up here, I've got some ideas, some very practical things that I'd like you to consider. I think first of all, you need to intentionally take time to be alone. Now, some of you, I know, you think that is just impossible. And it might take a conversation with your spouse, you know, saying, hey, I need this time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes at this particular time in the day. It, you know, some of you in here, I know you're single moms. You might need some help. We got people in here that maybe could help you with that. If you need some, if you need some time to be with God, I'm sure there are people in this church who would make that happen for you. And so I know for some of you it's hard to do, but, man, it's so important. But I think another thing that you can do is, is create um, – solitude, but also intentionally use times that you're already alone. In other words, if you commute to work, don't waste that. Don't just listen to the garbage on the radio. Uh, use that. Use that solitude to talk to God. That's what I do. Every I can't tell you the last time that I actually listened to music. I was thinking about that this week because, um, you know, every time I go to to drive the bus and on my way back and on the way, you know, I go back and forth twice to Dallas City, I listen to my Bible almost every time or I pray. 
I mean, one of those two things, uh, because that's a time that I'm by myself. Uh, use breaks at work. Uh, use your time in the combine or the sprayer or, you know, get up first thing before anybody else gets up or, uh, you know, when your husband wakes you up with a snoring. Use that time <laughs> uh, to spend time with, with God. But, you know, if you have any time in your day that you're alone, use it. Don't, don't waste that time. Don't think it's impossible to create time alone. Just use time that you already have alone. Another uh, pointer that I have for you, spend a few minutes with God at the beginning of every day and at the end. I'm, I'm pretty good about the first one, but man, the second one, I'm not very good at reflecting. But as you get ready for the day, think about, you know, what God wants you to accomplish. But at the end of the day, take time to reflect. You know, man, was I faithful to God today? What are some areas that I did well in? What are some things that I need to change for tomorrow? Uh, find a quiet place. You know, find a place where you know you can be alone, uh, um, your car, or a desk, you know, whatever it is. Uh, as, you th- as you reflect on your life, you know, at the end of the day, think about it like a movie replaying. You know, think about situations that maybe you um, handled well and things that you didn't. Make arrangements for times that you can be alone for a long period of time. Take a camping trip once a year. Have a spa day by yourself once a year. Take a trip to a cabin. Whatever it is, take time for extended solitude. But, you know, time is our most valuable resource, isn't it? That's something that, that all of us, everyone, values. And sometimes as we think about being alone with God, maybe you've tried this before and it didn't really feel like anything really came out of it. I think we have to get to the point where we're not expecting anything tangible out of it. And I think when we get to that point where we're doing it just because we know God wants us to and we're trying to be faithful in it, I think that's the time that we start to see things happening. Because this habit of seeking solitude is kind of, it's kind of an attitude habit. In other words, if you get this thing right, it helps you in all these other spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about. It, reading your Bible and, and um and praying, all those things, they're all kind of dictated by your willingness to seek solitude. If you don't seek solitude, the chances of those other things happening aren't very good. So solitude is important. Um, but I want to encourage you, this is real specific here. I'm going to kind of close with this. Another thing I want to, we've been talking about how busyness and how hurry is the enemy of solitude. So I'm going to challenge you this week, and I'm taking this myself too, okay? And you don't have to do these. These are just ideas, okay? I know you're going to moan and groan at these. And that's okay. Just think about it. But I want you this week to intentionally think of an area of your life that you can very intentionally slow down. Here's an idea. I'm the kind of person that I used to put my speedometer at 10 miles over the speed limit all the time. That's how I drove. Always have, ever since I had my driver's license. And I kind of felt like that was the sweet spot where I got to my destination Felt like I was getting there fast, but I didn't really get pulled over. So that was kind of like, that's what I did. Then I got my CDL, and I thought, I should probably be a little more careful. And so honestly, I set my speedometer at like five over. And um, so I'm going to challenge you this week. I'll challenge myself this week. One way that you can intentionally slow your life down. I want you to drive the speed limit this week. Isn't that, you ever come up on somebody's bumper, and you're like, what is wrong with this person? And you're like, oh, they're driving the speed limit. That's what's wrong with them. <laughs> I mean, I know for some of you, you're like, what is this guy talking about? Of course you drive the speed limit. I know some of us just have this rebellious streak or something. I don't know. But it just drives me crazy to drive the speed limit. So take the opportunity just to intentionally, and I'm not saying everybody does this. I'm just saying find a way that you can intentionally slow down this week. And, man, ask yourself at the end, is, was it really all that bad? Uh, another, some other ideas. Get in the longest line at the grocery store this week. Oh, I, for, I forgot one part. As you're driving 55 this week and people are blowing your doors off going by, pray for them. I'm, 
not like pray for their salvation because they're speeding because that's what you were doing the week before. I'm saying, um, get this thing to unlock. Hello, it's me. Oh well, I guess I guess my computer wants me to be done preaching, so too close it says. There we go. So uh, you know, as people are blowing your doors off when you're driving 55, pray for them as they go by. Just man, help them to get their work safe and whatever they got going on in their life. Um, you know, just pray for them with your eyes open. Um, another thing is, so get in the get in the grocery line, the longest line. Look for the longest line, and I don't know. Pray for the people in front of you, or the, for the cashier. Maybe they're having a rough day, or whatever. Um, what are some other ideas here? I had an, I had another one. Um, oh, here's another thing: limit your multitasking. Instead of trying to do a bunch of things at once, just try to focus on doing one thing at a time. If you're with your kids, just be with your kids. Maybe put your phone away. Yeah, I, that's a struggle for me. I've always got my phone on me. Now, these are just some ideas, but I just really want you this week to practice. To, to be disciplined about slowing down. Just intentionally find a way in your life that you can slow something down. I don't care what it is, but just I think the discipline of solitude starts with us being willing to slow down. And so find some ways that you can intentionally slow down this week. But let's not forget the big point. Don't overlook the value of the process for the sake of progress. I tell you what, when it comes to spiritual disciplines and when it comes to following God, that, that's not about a destination. That's about a journey. That's about a process. And man, if we are so focused on progress that we miss the value of going through a process, I think we're missing something big spiritually. So don't be so obsessed with progress that you miss out on the value of the process. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day you've given us today. We are thank you for this... Uh, Thankful for this house of worship and the people that have gathered here for uh, familiar faces that have been here for years and, and have ensured that this church is is here and will stay around. We're thankful for new faces, Lord, that, that are here. And uh, I pray, Lord, that they feel welcome, that they've found something here today that maybe they were searching for. Lord, I just pray that as we consider spiritual disciplines and as we talk about solitude, we know, Lord, that it is a challenge in this culture uh, to be alone and, and to slow down. Lord, I pray that we will this week intentionally look for ways to just slow down and to, to listen to your voice. And Lord, I pray that for the people in this room, when they listen for your voice, that they'll hear you speak. That's your name I pray. Amen. Uh, like I said, I did something kind of at the last minute this week in, in your bulletin today. I hope you got a bulletin. If you didn't, make sure you grab one on your way out, okay? I should have made some extras of these, and I didn't. But in the middle of your bulletin, there's just like a half-page insert. It's double-sided, and um, there's just some pointers there and some reminders about some things that we've talked about. But just some, some ways to seek solitude, okay? So just practical information. If you're looking to, um, if you know that you need to seek solitude, these are just some pointers on how you can do that, okay? And so basically it's talking about getting alone with God and how to do that. So if you didn't get a bulletin, grab one on your way out. If we're out of bulletins and we need more inserts, let me know, and I want to make sure that I, I send it to you or I get it to you somehow. Um, but I was thinking, you know, there are some of you in this room, I know, who probably don't believe in God. Your parents drag you here and you don't really believe it, but you have to come and, or maybe you're worried about hurting their feelings, so, so um, you never say it out loud. But honestly, you either don't believe in God or maybe you're struggling to know if you believe in God. I acknowledge that that's probably a reality for some of you in this room. And first of all, I want to say you're welcome. <laughs> Just as much, if not more, than anybody else in here. So first of all, that's the first thing. But the second thing is 
just because you don't know what you believe or you don't know if you believe, it doesn't mean that you can't do the same thing that we have right here in, in seeking God. If you don't believe in God or you're not sure if you believe in God, I just want to challenge you to do this anyways. And I think maybe you will hear something you don't expect to hear. So just my challenge to you if, you, if you're not really sure where you're at. But for the rest of us, understand that solitude, man, is so important because it, it dictates everything else uh, in your life. It, it dictates everything else as far as spiritual discipline. So this is so important. So if you are not a person that is setting aside time every single day to be with God, do it. Start this week. Start today. Five minutes. You know, whatever it is, I don't care how long, just make sure you're going through the discipline of setting aside time for God. That's my invitation to you this week, is to really seek after God. Whether you believe in him or not, just seek after him. Take time to hear his voice. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song.